Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Very excited to have my guest with me today. She is an executive coach, an empowerment writing coach, and an international best-selling author. I have with me today, Demetria L. Cook. Hi, Demetria. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. I, I'm very excited to talk about this as well and to have you as a guest. So I'm going to start with you like I do all of my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Oh, my labor of love. So my labor of love is actually helping others. So and that's how I've actually built my career is, you know, coaching others. And when I am helping others to achieve their goals, you know, if it's career goals, it's typically career goals, but if it happens to be something else, it's just, I get so much, uh, it, it's it, the benefit of that. It, it makes me happy. It brings out the joy in me. You know, I, I love, I get excited about seeing the growth of the people that I work with and knowing that I've helped to, you know, make their lives, you know, even better and to shine in what it is that they want to do. So that's really like my greatest love is like really helping others. Okay. So tell, talk to us a little bit about where this passion and this love for helping others began for you. Where is that rooted? Well, you know, I always wanted to be a teacher. So when I was a kid, I was, I always thought about, oh, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a teacher. And that did, it came true. <laughs> and so as I got older, you know, I started thinking about what is it that I love doing? And I was always that person who wanted to assist, who wanted to be there for the other person and help them out with just like their homework or anything that came along. And so when I got older, I started thinking about the teaching aspect. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go into teaching. And then I got into the classroom. And boy, I was like, okay, this is not me. This is not what I want to do. <laughs> and what and grade did you start off teaching? I started teaching in middle school. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, that's sixth through eighth grade. And, you know, those are the tough years. You know, the kids are, are it's, it's, they're, they're changing. Mm-hmm. And so when you um, are dealing with that change in terms of, their physical bodies, their emotional, you know, their intellect, all of it is their hormones, right? So all of it is happening at one time. And I did enjoy, you know, working with middle schoolers, you know, and I, I worked with high schoolers at one point, but my main concentration was middle school. And there is a satisfaction that comes out of working with them because they're in such a transitional stage in their life. And then you get to see 
how that that growth goes, you know. So I think that part of me is what I clinged on to when I was working with uh, middle schoolers and teaching. But it got to a point where I realized that I'm more effective one-on-one. I'm more effective coaching versus teaching. And so there's a huge difference when you're talking about coaching versus teaching. Mm -hmm. So when you made that discovery, um, for you, was it an immediate like, huh, here's this revelation. Now I'm just going to stop teaching and I'm going to follow this coaching path? Or was there like a transition period where you kind of figured it out a little more and then moved on? Oh, it was immediate. It was like, huh, like you said, huh, you know what? I need to make a switch. And so I did. It, it was one of those things where the teaching aspect, it wasn't fulfilling, you know, and, you know, I was working in a, a community that was very tough and it took a toll on my, my emotional and my physical body. And so I realized that I needed, I needed something else. And so when I, that switch happened, I was like, yeah, this, this needs to change and it needs to change now. And, you know, there was this young kid that I was working with when I was teaching and he, you know, I thought he was a nice kid. I actually liked him, (laughs) but he had a reputation in school that he was very difficult. None of the teachers wanted to work with him. They really, um, they ostracized him. He was just like this kid that no one cared about, you know, and, and, you know, he was a gang member and, but he would listen to me. And, you know, people would look at me like, what are you doing? What's going on with you? You know, because I would walk into my classroom and he would write on the classroom board and have all his gang symbols and things like that. And I just looked at him and I just said, erase it. And he looked at me and he erased it, you know? And so we just formed like this connection because I was, I felt like I understood him. And so we had this level of communication that we could, he would listen to the things that I suggested or when I would give him advice or that coaching aspect uh, per se. And so when, uh, like I was saying, he had done some things that really the other teachers and administration and things like that, they were not comfortable with him. And so I sat down with him and I was like, hey, let's go and let's apologize to, you know, this teacher for your actions that you did because they were, they were pretty bad. And, and so we, I went with him and the uh, teacher really didn't want to listen at all. And I thought that was really kind of sad because there was a, there was this kid who got to a point where he was acknowledging what he had done wasn't the right thing. And he wanted to express, you know, that, that level of regret because he did feel it. And the teacher just put up a wall you know, and, and, and that's unfortunate because that, that was an opportunity for him to embrace, you know, that small amount of change that this young man was going through. And so, but, you know, and I told him, you know, we sat down and I was just like, look, I go, you know, I was proud of him for making that effort to actually say 
how he was feeling and to apologize for his actions, that was a huge step for him. And that was something that I don't believe he had ever done before. And so we, like I said, we just had this communication. And one day I was walking down the hall and I saw that he was in this one classroom it was kind of like detention. And I was like, I walked in there and I was like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> you know? And so, uh, but yeah, so we did, we had this connection and I really feel like I had an impact on his life. So and something that you kind of said in your telling this story, which I appreciate you for sharing, that I think a lot of people miss is um, you went with him. And I don't mean that necessarily just from the perspective of going into the classroom of this other teacher, but what so many people, period, but uh, I'll hone in on our youth, are missing, but are craving is someone to go with them. And I think in our culture, I don't even know who our is right now. It could be the greater scope of Western coach. I don't know. But in our culture and cultural overlaps, I think there is this perception of teacher mm-hmm. or leader that says, I stand and point to where you're supposed to go and you're supposed to go. But we are missing this element of going with them. And how many times, even for my daughters who are five and have been potty trained for quite some time, and they know how to use the bathroom and they know how to do all that. But the number of times they'll say, can you come with me? And no, I don't want to all the time. I want to be like, girl, you know how to use the bathroom or it's right there. I realize that it's not about going to the bathroom. It's about a deep rooted desire to have someone with you. And so, you know, what really stood out to me and that story that you shared is just, you went with him and there are probably many people throughout his life that said, you need to apologize, or you need to go make it right, or you need to stop doing this. You know, as adults, we have a lot of, you need to's and you ought to's, Mm -hmm. but how many of us are actually willing to go with? And I think that's what makes a difference between connected relationships with others And ones where um, the disconnect then causes us to either make up a story about them or ourselves or both. I'm not good at this. I'm awful. They're not listening or they're this and they're that because they won't listen. But I I do think that there is a a togethership that is necessary. So I really appreciate that. So when you transitioned into kind of coaching, was there still an emphasis on uh, adolescents and young people, or was this more around adults? Yeah, my shift. Well, I want to go back to something you just said before I, I okay, tell yeah. you. And, and you're right. It is important that, you know, we as leaders, we as coaches, we as mentors, you know, we have to be right there with that person. You know, I am here with you. You know, I am by your side. And that can be physically, or that can be, um, you know, not necessarily physically, but you know that their presence is still there. And so that is a real important key thing is that I was, you know, I wasn't going to send this kid to the wolves. You know, I already knew that he, they didn't like him, appreciate him. They really had this horrible view of this young man. And so, you know, it was important for him to know that I stood by him, that I was walking with him you know, we are in this together. 
And I think that's a huge part of what we do as coaches, you know, is that you help your, the person that you're working with understand that you are there, you know, that you, you know, I've got your back kind of thing Mm -hmm. that I, you know, will help you along this journey in the best way that I can, you know, and, you know, as you said, I think that, you know, when you were talking about your daughters, it, it, it is important. It's, it's not about, it's the support, you know, and sometimes we do need that additional support and that need, that physicality, you know, come with me, you know, and, and I think that that's huge. So I did make a switch from working with youth to adults and it's, it's gradual. It's like young adults. And now I'm working with, you know, professionals because I've spent, you know, over 20, 25 years in the field of education in different capacities. And so that has lent itself from physically teaching, working with the young kids, and then being in education and after school and doing like staff development and leadership coaching and leadership development, you know, something that I currently do. And so I really feel as if that switch started um, in the early 2000s. So, uh, you know, I started working and talking with and supporting, you know, young adults who were in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they were making their career choices and transitioning from college into, you know, the real quote unquote real world of, of work. <laughs> and so I just have always felt like um, I've always just really enjoyed working with others and, you know, and helping them bring out the best that's inside of them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, because sometimes we have that and we know what it is we're supposed to do or what we want to do, but it takes someone else to really bring it out of us. And that's why I'm a strong believer in coaches need coaching too, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) because I'm that person, you know, I need coaching, you know, it's like, I still have to elevate my self-confidence or, you know, you know, and, and my belief and what it is that I'm doing. And so, you know, it, it doesn't just end when you become a coach or if you're a teacher or, or, or a mentor, you know, it's, it's lifelong, you know, be a lifelong learner. I think that's extremely important. And it's a different satisfaction working with adults and kids. And, you know, I often, when I have conversations with some of my friends and you know we start talking about and thinking about the people who have reached a certain level in their career and you know they got there because of a teacher or someone who was a mentor or someone who was a coach and it's undervalued the work that educators do in terms of you know even if someone has achieved quote unquote success, however success is defined by that person, let's say right now financial success, right? Because I don't believe success is financial. You know, success is 
other things. It includes your happiness and, and the people who are around you, your support system and things like that. But when we look at people like our Zuckerbergs and our Gates and Musk, you know, of the world and, and, and Richard Branson's of the world, you know, some of them did stop, you know, going to school. They graduated from high school but they didn't go on to college or, you know, there are many people out there who have maintained a level of success who don't have a, a, an educa- uh, an advanced degree, university degree. And, and so it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. They may not have an education beyond high school, or even if someone didn't finish high school, you still had a teacher and that teacher began in the home to some capacity. And even if it's someone that you didn't get along with, like if you uh, didn't have the best relationship with your mother or your relationship with your father wasn't the best, they were still teachers because they taught you something that you wanted to change in your life from what it is that they're doing. So we have teachers all around us, you know? And so, uh, but going back to that physical teacher in the classroom, you know, they had teachers when they were in kindergarten, first grade, second, you know, on up. And so if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't be where they are today. And that's where that undervalue comes in is that, you know, we have the educators who are making, you know, 20 something thousand dollars, 30 something thousand dollars, you know, to work with, you know, 30, 40 kids in the classroom and they're still being undervalued in what it is that they're doing and how they're teaching and also they're being underpaid, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, I just say all of that to say that, you know, coaching uh, and teaching, it, it, it starts out of the womb, you know, and the people who are around us who really shape who we are today. Mm-hmm. And it operates. I think it uses some of the similar muscles. But something that you also said that I think is super important is I think, again, I'm going to go with our culture and I don't even exactly know what I mean. There's a lot of cultures here that are at play and are overlapping and interweaving, but we have been culturalized to really love a good Cinderella story, end quote. That term is used so often. And sometimes I'm like, I mean, I read the story. How does this apply? But really the, the narrative of nothing to something on your own gets so much glory but it's like it wasn't on your own no one does anything on their own and the point you were talking about I was like "Mm -hmm," is this you know we have teachers everywhere now some teachers are people some are life experiences some we have close proximity to meaning I can touch you I can call you I know you by name, you know me by name. Some are people that we we watch or we listen to, but we are constantly being given the opportunity to find exposure to things we want and we don't want. So the 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 path of learning is in especially as we talk about um as we move beyond the traditional school system that we have in our country it's all about leaning towards and and leaning back from what do I lean towards what am I repelling away from so even as young as my kids are I'm interested in what are they gravitating towards 
And what are they pulling away from? They might not have a lot of options about, you can't just say, oh, I don't like science. So I'm not going to do science, but I, I want, that's data for me. Okay. What is it about science that is you're repelling from? Was what, what is it about math or English that you're leaning into? And then we have people in our lives that we see leaning towards the things that we lean towards and curiosity and we learn. So I do recognize and agree that opportunities for learning are endless, endless, endless. And our teachers are numerous. I think as the seasons change, so you're in Cali and I don't know, I I don't know what, what life is like in California, but here in the Midwest, we get four whole seasons if we're lucky. Um, And as we're moving into the fall, I think nature is one of the greatest teachers that we have and if we can just still ourselves long enough to look observe and be curious about nature we can learn so much and that's just an example of how uh nature isn't getting paid as a matter of fact we are doing a total (laughs) disservice to nature around us in so many ways but it's undervalued but it's still there to offer those lessons so I really genuinely appreciate that. When you talked about fulfillment, I'm curious what that means to you. How do you know? What are the sensations in your body, the emotions, the thoughts? Like when you're doing something and you feel fulfillment, how do you know? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. So fulfillment for me, it, it, you know, if I'm smiling, you know, I'm connecting, that's a connection. That's a physical connection that you can visibly see from me. And I have just this sense of, it's kind of hard to describe, but just being light and L I, well, I guess they would be spelled the same light as in a luminous or light as in the opposite of heavy. Both. Okay. Yeah, both. And I am, I, no pun intended, but I light up. (laughs) And so for me, it's, it's more about knowing like on the inside, I'm, I feel more aligned with who I am. You know, I'm all about being aligned with my inner soul and understanding and, and embracing who that person is or those feelings on the inside. And so I think when, you know, I think about when I talk about being in alignment with my inner soul, I often say I'm hope, you know, because it, it just, I can't give, I still have to have that sense of belief and knowing that there's more, that there can be something greater, that there's something bigger. And so on the inside, what I'm feeling is just this this ease, this lightness. I I don't feel heavy. I feel, you know, calm. I feel, you know, I'm relaxed. And I am, when I am having a conversation with someone or I am in a situation in a group or whatever it is, you know, there's just this relax. I'm more relaxed. You know, yeah, thank you. Because I think as I talk with people about their labors of love and their passions, uh, fulfillment 
comes up a lot, but I don't know. Sometimes I think a rational question would be, well, how do you know when you're fulfilled? So thank you for that. And I was thinking about for myself and I realized that fulfillment is, um, it's an internal experience because what I, the way I'm thinking of it is I have control over certain things. So the example I have is I know that I am feeling fulfillment when I have poured out everything that is in me and I have poured that out into whatever it is. So if I'm in a session and I have poured out what's in me to give to that person or those people, if I'm doing a training and I've poured that out, if I'm podcast, whatever it is. So there is an emptiness that doesn't represent negative to me. There is an emptiness that says everything I had to give this particular time, scenario, situation, person, I've given it and there's fulfillment there. But I also realize that there is a difference between me pouring and someone else extracting. Mm-hmm. And I think that is super important. And I want to say, forgive the example, but if people listen to this podcast, they know me. Um, and so the example I have is there can be something so fulfilling about urinating to me. Okay. If my bladder is full, And especially if I didn't have like immediate access to the bathroom, there is something like my shoulders drop and there's almost like a audible, like, like this feels amazing. Right. But I've also had a catheter. Mm -hmm. It emptied my bladder, but it was not pleasant. It did not feel it did. it, It caused more anxiousness and things. And so I also want to throw that out there for people to give them something to think about. I, I find it fulfilling to empty myself of the gifts and the talents that I have so that other people can learn and grow. What I'm learning though, is that I've been in a lot of situations where people were extracting from me not a, not a personal choice to pour, or I poured some And people want it more and more and more. And so it's that catheter. It's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm going to get what's within you for my own good, whether you're ready or willing or capable to give it right now. And so even as we talk about our labors of love, and I'm hoping that listeners are, if they haven't already identified what that is, that they're still curious what is my labor of love, that they realize that just because it's your labor doesn't mean, and it's your labor of love, that people get to just take from it when they want to. So I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, I want to talk I a little, also, oh, go ahead. I also, because what you were just saying, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but mm-hmm. what you were just saying is like, you feel that emptiness. And I think that's really, it's a similar feeling that I was saying. It's like, you feel that emptiness because you've poured it all out. And I was saying that I feel that light you know, that lightness, you know, so it's, it's, it's that sense of, wow, you know, that, that you have in terms of your fulfillment and how you describe it. So, yeah, I wanted to point that out because I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very similar in terms of those feelings. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely. And after I said it, I was like, no, that's not true. I do realize that the lights are spelled differently, even though a few minutes ago I said they're spelled the same because I would be the person to obsess about that. Right. And then I would be like, Jay, do we need to (laughs) re-record? 
and he would be like, uh, no, we don't. So this is also me being like, hey, I'm being transparent about that, uh, whether anyone noticed or not. Um, so I would love to turn the conversation a little bit now to talk about writing. I know that uh, writing is very um, important to you. Not only are you um, an international bestseller, but you also provide coaching and support for other writers. So talk to us a little bit about like where your passion and love for writing came from. Oh gosh, let's see. So like when you talk to any writer, they will tell you, well, I've been writing since I was a little kid. I mean, it's just something that we do. It's something that we, we enjoy you know, that aspect of it, that creativity of, you know, of it and in terms of the imagination. And so as a little girl, I love reading books. You know, one of my favorite books has always been Harold in the Purple Crayon. And he takes this, and for your audience, if they're not familiar with Harold in the Purple Crayon, this is little boy who goes on this journey he gets the book that I have because there's a series and he goes on this this journey he gets lost he climbs out of his window and he goes on this adventure and he gets lost and he doesn't know how to get back home and the only way that he can get back home is he has to draw his way back home and so he creates this whole like world for himself he's in the water and then in the water I think there's like this little shark and then he draws a police officer that points him in the right direction he draws like the sun the moon he you know so he creates this whole world for himself and that's just something that for me as a writer I really enjoy creating that kind of a world and um, my passion for writing began when I was little and I started writing poetry, I started writing fiction. And more recently I've been doing more nonfiction writing and it's, it's all of it is fulfilling for me and I'm passionate about all of it. And I know that a lot of people will say, well, I'm not a writer, I can't write. We're all writers, every single one of us. And you know, we wrote in school, like writing, you have a, a, a noun, you have a verb. Everything else is fluff, right? And so you, you can start that way and, and look at it in terms of who is the subject, who is the noun, and then what's the action or what's the verb? You know, you break it down and, and to its simplest form. And then you start creating that world or you start creating that story if you're talking fiction. And if it's nonfiction, you still have your subject, your now, and your verb, but it's more in terms of what actually happened, you know, what's going on, these, the, the actual facts or the truths as you know it in terms of your writing, you know. And so it's, it's all, it's very therapeutic to be able to, to write. And I remember my, my first big fiction piece, I started, oh gosh, let's just say a number of years ago. And it was called um, Night Speed. It was R RPM PM. And that was the initials of the characters, of the characters in the story. So RPM was speed and PM was night. So I just played around with that. And 
those characters took on a life of their own. And I, as a writer, I constantly am editing and editing and editing. And I broke that story down into two main characters because before it was, I think, five, and then it became two. And that one has continued to develop over the years. And that's the project that I'm working on right now that I'm, I'm in the process of editing is my, my fiction novel. And, uh, and again, that started when I was young. <laughs> er. <laughs> I'm still young, mm-hmm. just a little older. And so, um, but yeah, it's just a passion that I've had from just growing up and reading all kinds of different books. You know, you, do you remember the scholastic reading list that they had, you know, yeah. and I would just go, we get that, that little booklet of information. I check off this book and this book and this book. And then you wait for the book to come home or to be sent home. I think they came to our house. I don't know if they went to school or home, but, oh, it was so thrilling. And to have those books and, and it was just so much fun. And I think now the instant gratification that kids are going through today with social media and with the telephone you have every you have everything at your you can do everything on your phone you know you've got the internet on your phone it's not just to make a phone call anymore you can create you can record you can make movies on your phone and so it's a different level of how we our attention is and so when I was growing up I waited for those books. I went to the library, had a library card. I checked out books. I returned the books. It was a sense of, you know, just accomplishment in terms of reading and creating and knowing what it is that I wanted to do and to be able to create worlds like that. And so for me, that's what I feel is lacking in the development of a a lot of kids today, you know, there's still, some kids are still actively reading, actively writing and things like that. I'm not saying, you know, no kid is doing that. No, that's not true at all. But I'm saying what the, with the invent, you know, with the invention of technology and being at our, you know, beck and call, we can just hold it and touch it and grasp it right now. It has taken away that thrill of actually reading, even reading a newspaper, you know, that physical aspect of touching and holding and having it there that has left us, you know, and when I do read things that are on the internet and I'm reading a story and I have to stop myself because A, I don't understand the headline, like who wrote this headline? B, wow, this grammar is really bad. (laughs) And C, it's just the connection is just not there. And it's like people are writing for the audience that we have today. And, you know, we have to continue to change and move with the time. But I think that there's still something that's missing and that's that's lacking. And so to go back to what you were saying is that I, I love, I just love to write, you know, in all of its forms. And, and that's where I can be creative. I can release the feelings that I have inside of me. I can tell the story that I want to that I want to tell and to share with the world and as a writer you have to be vulnerable you know in 
any and everything that you write. It doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. As a writer, you are in every single piece of work that you create. You know, your poetry, your nonfiction work, your fiction work, you know, your screenwriting, your television writing, all of it. You know, a part of you lives and breathes within that work. Mm-hmm. And you have to be vulnerable to actually share that. Absolutely. You know, you said a couple of things. One, I think that I'm I'm very intrigued. And this is more of just um, a thought that popped up. But uh, sorry, I, a sneeze was trying to emerge. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe if I slow down, it'll come. So now I think I said it and I scared it away. But this idea of I'm not and I am, you know, it's just one that I'm going to ponder and I'm inviting other people to ponder. There are so many things that I have said I am not in my life, not based on really any verifiable data, not based on truth, but based on something. Maybe it was a narrative that I created out of an experience or a narrative that someone gave to me and the hesitancy that I've experienced in life to say I am many different things that I actually am. Writer was one of them. Um, I, I'm fine with saying I do something, but to identify myself as something felt um, like it brought within an accountability that I wasn't sure I could measure up to. So, you know, for a long time, I would say I write, but to actually be able to say I am a writer, um, while it did come with some accountability, it also came with a freedom that I think was that I wasn't expecting. And so if someone is listening and they're thinking like, oh, I like to write. Just see what it feels like to call yourself a writer. Because we have these narratives that we build. Well, what does a writer actually do? They don't know. I'm gonna be the first to tell you writers don't know either those self-proclaim somebody else call them a writer everybody's just figuring it out as they go along so you are a writer so you said that and that um that stood out to me and then there is this um other concept that I've just been putting on the the back burner not even the back burner it's not even on the stove it's a crock pot in my mind it's just slowly simmering and it's this idea of um nostalgia as opposed to kind of like the changing times. And I know that there are certain things that I've experienced like in childhood that are very nostalgic and I'm very fond of. And I see them, I see like my children, for example, having very different experiences and how sometimes it's hard for me to look at that neutrally. But then there are also things that I am, that I see people clinging to. And I'm like, like one of them is growing up doing math at some point in time, I was always told, look, you need to learn how to do this because you ain't gonna always have a calculator on you. Lies. My children will always have a calculator, right? And if they don't have a phone, they go, hey, Alexa, what's blah, 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 blah. Hey, Google, what's blah, 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 blah. Hey, Siri, like the reality is, <laughs> and I like math to an extent. I want to get down in there. I want to do some long division. I do. I like that. But I also realize that like, no, like my children will not have to, that's a skill that if they don't have it, they're still going to get the answer. It's my then choice. If I'm going to look at that and be like, kids these days, (laughs) or if I'm going to be like, you know what? 
man, I'm, I, you know, I had to come, come, come at it the hard way. So that just kind of came up in whatever area. I also mm-hmm. think about me as a writer, I have so much more confidence in my spoken voice than I do my written, my written voice. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't even come close. I participate in writing circles. I have a small group of friends where we write with each other. And let me tell you, I am quick to read my writing to someone because I'm very, very good at making on the spot um, changes and corrections as I'm reading it because I have spent so much more time nurturing, cultivating, and all of this, my spoken voice. But if someone were to say, oh my God, that was beautiful. Can you send that to me? I'm always like, um... So I will read it on video and send them the video because I don't want them to have my written words because it feels like my written words are open to so much more scrutiny. Well, I don't know that that's actually true. I think people can scrutinize my spoken voice. Somebody could put on one of these podcasts and, you know, scrutinize everything that comes out of my mouth if they wanted to. It doesn't happen more with my written voice, but that's the narrative I have. So I also think about people listening who will even say, okay, fine. I'll say I'm a writer, but I'm not a good writer. All of these things, realizing that part of the confidence in writing is repetition. It's trusting yourself. It's the vulnerability Dimitri was talking about. It's surrounding yourself with people who can give you critical feedback, but also gas you up and be like, that was really good. But what does that mean? Who can, who can give you feedback, not just about the craft and, you know, the art form of writing, but, or the science of writing, but the art form and using your word. So I just think that's can be encouraging for people. Demetria, I know you even have an online platform for people who have identified as writers or people who might be thinking about identifying as writers and such. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I am the hostess of the writer's lounge with Demetria. And what I really enjoy doing is bringing on writers and for them to talk about their journey, because in the writer's lounge with Demetria, we're here to inspire and empower writers, one guest, one conversation in one genre at a time. And so it is about giving, you know, helping people see that there is, you know, they're not alone, right? You know, that empowerment piece and being able to inspire them to pick up the pen or the pencil and just begin writing or whatever form you're using, you know, your phone maybe. But the the point is that you you start to write and you continue to write and you journal and you write emails and you write down little notes or tasks or to-do lists. That's all writing, you know, and that is feeding and nurturing that writer in you. And so it's, it, it is, it's about having that, that confidence. And so you know, when I'm interviewing and I'm talking with my guests on the show, they all have different experiences. Like the, the last person I interviewed, she is a lawyer, you know, and she got into the entertainment business, you know, through that angle, you know, 
And I've talked to, you know, editors, you know, and I've talked to publishers and screenwriters and journalists. And so it's, it's a platform where people are able to really connect with other writers on a level and see that they can share what they share, what they have in common, you know, what they share with one another. You know, I interviewed an actor and he talked about how writing, you know, he, he, he talked about that tree of, of writing and, and like that relationship between the producer and the director and then the actor and then the writer, you know, so for people who are looking to be involved in screenwriting and what that looks like or television writing, you know, and then I've had a, another uh, someone else on there who is a journalist, you know, an award-winning journalist, and he's done amazing work in uh, his city in terms of, you know, the political work that he's done, you know, and the, the sports writing that he's done. And so it's, it's an opportunity for those to, who are kind of on the fence about their own writing, not sure about it, just kind of questioning, should I do this? Should I not do this? You know, the voices that are heard in the writer's lounge give them a perspective that they may not have had before because it's all true, it's all authentic and it's it's coming from the heart. And that's what we need out there is for is a platform for people as writers who can be authentic and who can share their stories and share their journeys and share what challenges and um, accolades that they've had as writers. And then also at the same time, the audience is able to hear that authenticity and to, to see it and to feel it and to, you know, know that they're, that they're, they can also achieve, you know, the things that the writers in the writer's lounge are achieving. You know, I've had spoken word artists, I've had poets and, and it's, it's beautiful because everyone has something different to share. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it's, you know, I don't ask the same questions to every single person who comes on the show. It's because it's that authenticity needs to be there. You know, it's your story. So I like to get to know my guests and, you know, we talk about different things, different aspects of who they are and how they, you know, got to where they are, you know, their journey and, you know, they're excited about where they're going to go next. And they're excited to be able to share their knowledge with the world, with the rest of us out here. Mm -hmm. And so the, the Writer's Lounge with Demetria started as a way for me to engage writers more and to give them a platform that they can, you know, connect with other writers in different different genres wonderful yeah you've even had a therapist on there <laughs> so I was very grateful that Demetria invited me on uh, to talk to. So like she said, you know, a wide variety of people that she's talking to, which I think does tremendously help people look outside of probably the very narrow scope that they've put writers in. Um, 
So as we get ready to wrap up, two questions that I want to ask. One is, how might someone, whether they identify as a writer or not, use writing as a form of self-care and self-tending? You know, it's really important that we are able to express ourselves. And so I'm a huge proponent of journaling. So, you know, if someone wants to use writing as a tool for self-care, you know, write minimally when you get up in the morning, write for five minutes, just get your thoughts out. You know, it can be anything that you want to write, just five minutes straight, set, set a timer, set an alarm and just free write. Don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about the grammar. Just write, 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 write for those five minutes. You know, and if you want to go longer than that, you can go longer than that. Or you can do this at the end of the day. You know, now that your day has wrapped up, you want to kind of just reflect on what the day was like for you. So you pick up your journal and you start writing in your journal again for another five minutes, 10 minutes, do that free writing. And you'll be amazed as to how it's, it's, um, I don't know if liberating is the right word, but it's very therapeutic to be able to, to, to write and release. And so, you know, that's one thing to start out doing is to do that journaling for yourself. And, you know, once you hit your five minutes, you know, go longer, you know, and then just always keep a writing utensil by you, you know, tool by you. If it's your phone that you use to write, use your phone. If you, the kind of person that likes pen and paper, always have that around and just write and write and write and write. And for those who don't necessarily want to physically write, use your phone as dictation. So speak into your phone, because you know you talked about that and you can just get your thoughts out and what's going on and to just really be in tune with the world around you. You know, so when you're writing your thoughts, nature is so important. You know, what is it that you see? What is it that you feel? What is it that you hear? You know, and that's one of the uh, tools that I use when I'm, I'm coaching is I remember when I was younger and I was in school and one of my professors, it was a class assignment we had and he had us walk, go outside and walk every 30 seconds or 30, yeah, every, every 30 seconds, I believe it was, we had to stop and write down what we saw, what we heard, what we felt, everything that was going on around us. So you would write that down. And after you wrote that down, you would start walking again. And wherever you landed, you stop, look around. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel, et cetera? And that's a great way for you to start getting in tune with your own senses and, and what's around you in terms of, of your writing. Um, Absolutely. I don't even know if I answered your question right. No, but. no, that was great. And, you know, <laughs> something I think is helpful. Those of us who have children or have been around children, those of us who are partnered, you know, we do a lot of stuff with the people we're connected to, but there are some things where we invite them to not join us. The bathroom is often one of them. Now, if you like me, your kids will try to come in there too and have for a great deal, but there comes a point where you're like, I'm going to need you to stay on this side of the door while I do my business. I think this is a great time for us to invite that inner critic to give us some space. 
I know we all have one. And if we're new to writing, even if you're old to writing, that critic will come up and have all these things to say, but that's when we can take that five minutes and go, I'm going to close the, I'm going to close my inner door. My inner critic needs to stay on the outside of that door. Because when we use writing as self-care, it's not really about what we produce. It's about how we can activate this tool to help us manage the many different things that are happening inside of us. So I love that activity. You know, I find that people who go into the process of doing writing activities that evoke the five senses, find it a lot easier to ground themselves and meditate and regulate Mm -hmm. because they're building a muscle of doing that. So that's huge. My second question as we're finishing up for you is how do you take care of yourself? Like what are the things that you do that allow you to sustain your labor of love? Well, you know, it's important for me to take time out of my day to just focus and concentrate on myself. And right now, the way that I'm doing that is I, every morning when I get up, I stretch, you know, even if it's a quick five minutes or if it's 10 minutes or if it's longer, it's something that how I start my day off that really kind of jump starts what I'm going to do for the rest of the day. And so it, it, it kind of prepares me for the rest of the day. And if I do have that one day where I don't, or I, I don't forget, I just decide not to, <laughs> to stretch that day, it, you know, it makes a difference. I can tell how off my day is when I don't stick to that routine. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really important for me to, to, to really have set up something like that for myself in terms of my stretching. And then, you know, I also, I take my vitamins every day, you know, and, and that's helping to keep me healthy. And, you know, it feeds me in terms of my thoughts and, you know, my writing and, and things like that. So, you know, just being able to start my day with, you know, uh, some sort of a routine is really helpful. I even make my bed. And when I'm making my bed every day, I make my bed, you know, never felt for years. Now that didn't happen when I was a kid, (laughs) adult thing, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking about something. And when I'm thinking about, when I'm making my bed, I'm thinking about just, I'm not overloading myself in terms of my day. No, but it's more like, it's a routine that I've gotten into that is, can actually, is actually kind of relaxing, you know? And what I hear a lot that overlaps with how others can use writing as self-care and the things you do to sustain your labor of love is routine. Routines are really important. And at, and to a point, it kind of doesn't matter what you put in the routine, just know that whatever is routinized in your life becomes these habits that you make and develop. And so there are things, whether they're good for me or not, that I know that I'm going to do like clockwork. And so they've become routine. So now as I move on to saying, how do I want to take care of myself or even establish a writing routine? What's that thing going to be? Sometimes uh, people are kind of like me. We go black, white, all or nothing. Like if I'm gonna be a writer, then I need to churn out this book. And then, nope, we need to just take a consistent amount of time 
to make something routine. So I really appreciate you for sharing that. Uh, Demetria, I really appreciate you for coming and just sharing your passion for helping others, um, really uh, helping people through coaching and really talking about your writing and the things that you are doing um, for those who are aspiring writers and who are writers. So if people heard something that you said and really want to get in touch with you or want to reach out and learn more, where can they find you? Well, you can reach me via my website. My website is www.demetriacook.com and that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-A-C-O-O-K.com or you can send me an email info at demetriacook.com. Those are two great ways to, to reach out to me. And I have my Facebook group, How to Write Your Book with Demetria Cook. And so you can just go on and do a search and you'll be able to find that and come join me in my Facebook group and, and learn more about writing and have access to the, the um, interviews that I do in the writer's lounge with Demetria. And so, yeah, those are all three great ways to be able to reach out and to, to contact me. Excellent. And we will have that information in the show notes. Again, Dimitri, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me. I want to thank my listeners for tuning in. I never take it for granted that you spend time listening. I want to thank my nephew, Trey Angel, who provides all of the music for the Labors of Love podcast and to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. If you'd like to reach out to me, if you have suggestions for content or guests, please reach me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. Don't forget, we're on all the major social media outlets. If you haven't already, head over to uh, Instagram. We have a Instagram page specifically for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. Go ahead and like that follow it. Um, And if you have YouTube, we have a whole YouTube channel where our Therapy Thursdays come out every week. We also put our Therapy Thursdays on our podcast platform. You can get our podcast, the Labors of Love podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. Until we connect again, you all be well.